I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we are delving deep into just what the life of allegiance looks like. Now, when you first recognize that faith has more to do with allegiance than it does with what thoughts you hold in your head, it can drastically shift your perspective. But in the beginning, it might once again just simply seem like a mental exercise. Shift your definition of faith from belief to allegiance and voila, process complete. Simply declare allegiance in word and I am done. But when you step back and consider all of the implications that this idea of allegiance bears with it, it becomes clear that allegiance has more to do with action than it has to do with thought. Because allegiance requires that a person put the entity of their allegiance higher than any other thing in their life. Higher than their family. Higher than their friends. Higher than their houses. Higher than their jobs higher than any other thing in your life that could possibly occupy the place of priority. We see this clearly when we examine the lives of soldiers. For active duty, the thing of allegiance, the country, becomes the job. Soldiers leave family, friends, property, everything. They go and they put their lives in harm's way for the sake of the mission. The mission being provided by the entity that holds the soldier's allegiance. Even with reserve soldiers, they may stay at home with their family and work at a job and look like everyone else. But when the one who holds their allegiance calls, everything else takes second place. The mission becomes the priority. The one with their allegiance calls the shots. The life of the one who swore allegiance does not belong to them. The oath takes precedence. It's the same way when we pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God and his king, Yeshua. We do get to live our lives, but some of us are called to active duty service. Those whose whole life revolves around the kingdom of God, the ministers and missionaries, those who spend their lives in service to the king with no second option. But everyone in the kingdom of God is a reservist. That means that when the king calls on you to take action, whatever he commands takes priority. Priority to the point of loss or injury or death. The mission is priority. The kingdom comes first. And the day is quickly approaching when everyone will be called into active duty. And in that day, your priorities will be made clear for everyone to see. And for those whose allegiance truly belongs to Yeshua, this will mean sacrificing some things that mean a lot to you. Putting some things on the back burner or simply tossing them aside. Giving up on regular income, your chosen profession. Doing things that are not easy or comfortable. Walking away from everything that your hands have built. 
walking into danger with a message of hope and salvation. And this can be hard. Trust me, I know what I'm saying. I went through this process several years ago, transitioning my life into a life of full-time active duty. Frankly, much of this time has been spent in training, and it's rarely been easy. It has been one of the most difficult processes I have ever engaged in. And that's why so many never begin, and why so many who begin give up. Because it is not easy. Fighting and living for an unseen kingdom looks foolish and perhaps even delusional. We, my family and I, we've had a lot of pushback, especially from those who call themselves believers for taking the path that we have taken. I've been told that I should put the ministry and the work that I've been tasked with on the back burner and get a real job. I've been told that I should think of my kids, that they should be my priority that I should sacrifice for them before sacrificing for the kingdom. I wonder what Abraham would have to say to that. I'm told that I shouldn't even expect money from this work because I'm not out in the world working for money. My actions don't demonstrate that I want money, or if I do, that I want it from those that I teach, and so I can't be trusted with it, despite what it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Timothy 5.18, and elsewhere. I have not put priority on a job and an income, so then I should not expect these things to come to me. Well, fine, because 1 Timothy 6.8 tasks the believer to be content simply with food and clothing. And I can tell you, we have never done without those things. The fact is that if you choose to follow this path of placing the kingdom first and foremost, and God asks you to do something that's not culturally acceptable, it will often be your fellow believers that will be the first to criticize. They will tell you all the ways that you're failing everyone around you. Your family, your friends will be the second to criticize. Because it does look foolish and it looks delusional to a world that's obsessed with the physical. We are not supposed to be that way. But putting the kingdom of God as priority is what we are called to do. It is the example that we have been given by those who came before us. Those who walked this path first. But the fact is that everyone should be involved in the work of the kingdom. Everyone. No one gets to sit around and simply be served by others. Everyone should step into the role of servant in the capacity that God has given you the gifts with which to serve. No one gets to reap the benefits of community and kingdom without the allegiance that is to take the lead. Everyone in the kingdom is to be engaged in kingdom work. But putting the kingdom first is not just about sacrifice and looking like an extreme loony to everyone around you. There are benefits that are given as part of this kingdom allegiance. The first is forgiveness. It's connected to repentance, a break from the past that's needed to start over emotionally and intellectually and even physically in some cases. The first fruits of new creation in a person as we begin to experience a taste of the resurrection. No longer held back by your past, but able to move forward free from shame and guilt. No longer a victim. No longer a perpetrator or a predator. Truly free to be able to live without condemnation. Even and especially self-condemnation. 
Romans 8, 1 through 2, There is then now no condemnation for those who are in Yeshua Messiah, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the Torah of the Spirit of the life in Messiah Yeshua has set me free from the Torah of sin and death. Freedom and release from the guilt and the shame of sin and death and failure. And that leads us to the second benefit, new life, eternal life, a benefit that begins the moment of your allegiance, a benefit that will outlast your existence on this earth, a benefit that those who live allegiance to this fullness will have to believe in 100%, because those who truly live allegiance will end up giving everything for the cause. And the cause will, in the end, likely cost their present lives as well. And the fact is that like a soldier, our flesh will be used by the king on the front lines of a war that will demand no violence on our part, no attempting to seek to save our lives or to delay our deaths by the shedding of the blood of another. We have tools that are much more powerful than violence. We have weapons that give life, not take it. Rather, the war we are called to is a war that will be fought by our peaceful non-compliance to the demands of an increasingly deranged world that cannot stand our existence in its midst. This war that will force the hand of the enemy to take violent action against peaceful, godly people. This war that will end with the vast majority of us passing through death, just as our Messiah did. And despite all of this, we will rise again. We will live again. But not again. It is still. It's just a short sleep and then the resurrection. We get to live life as it was meant to be lived. The third benefit of the kingdom is being in relationship with God. Living in his presence. Having him near you. Hearing his voice when you ask a question in all sincerity. Table fellowship with the Most High God, intimate and close, closer than a brother. This relationship gives you the right to make requests and to share hurts with the one who can do something about them. Having his power holding you up as you face the terrible and the frightful things of life. Having him by your side and never being forced to stand alone. And the fourth benefit that we discussed last time was the benefit of granted authority. The ability to call on the authority of the king and to have the world respond to you as it would to him. True authority over the spiritual realm and even the physical realm. All power of the enemy being subject to you in his name. That doesn't just mean you speak his name. You have to go back to the teaching on Exodus to understand the depth of what in his name truly means. And the fullest expression of that authority then being the power of God realized in this earth. New creation following us in our wake as we speak with the authority of Yeshua to the world around us. Those who meet us and submit to the power of God, they will see their lives changed in very real and positive ways. The world of creation subject to your authority within the sphere of influence that God has granted you. But all of this requires living in allegiance to your king. But what does that look like? What does it mean to live in allegiance to the king? 
I mean, sure, it means putting the kingdom and the king in a place of priority. But what does that look like on a practical day-to-day level? And that's what we're going to finish with today. Some things that we can begin to change as we live for the kingdom of God with our lives. The first is something that you have likely had drilled into you if you have spent any time in church. It's the final words that Messiah spoke to the apostles before ascending into the heavens to take up his place at the right hand of the Father. Matthew 28, 17-20 And when they saw him, they bowed to him, but some doubted. And Yeshua came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to guard all that I have commanded you. And see, I am with you always until the end of the age. Amen. Go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. This sentiment is echoed in the book of Acts, Acts 1, 8-9, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And having said this, while they were looking on, he was taken up, and cloud hid him from their sight. Go and spread the kingdom of God to all people. Evangelize, publish, Spread the kingdom. Teach them to guard all that has been commanded. Now this can happen in several ways. The first is that the kingdom can be spread through your presence. Now it's likely that you have, at one time or another, run across this quote. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. This quote is widely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but it's disputed by some as not originating with him. Now, it's also said that St. Francis said the following, It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless your walking is our preaching. Now, what is it that's being said in these quotes? Is the admonition here to be, let your actions alone preach to the lost? Now, I've heard it said before that this is indeed the most effective method of preaching the gospel to the lost. Simply live a good life, and eventually you will gain the attention of others who will then approach you with questions about what makes you so different. And this then opens a door to be able to speak to others about Yeshua and salvation. But what's being hinted at in these quotes is that our lives should demonstrate the character of God to everyone that we meet. And that's absolutely true. We bear the image of God, and so we are to live out the character of God before all. You know that quote about doing things in his name? This is it. We should not do these things in order to be seen by men. We should do this so that we can be more like God. And what is the character of God? Exodus 34, 6-7, And Hashem passed before him and proclaimed, Hashem, Hashem, a God compassionate, showing grace, patient, great in loving kindness, loving commitment, covenant loyalty, being a better translation, and truth, watching over covenant loyalty for thousands, forgiving crookedness and transgression and sin, but by no means leaving unpunished, visiting the crookedness of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. 
You see, Israel had just built a golden calf and they'd bowed down, they'd worshipped it. And this action broke the covenant that Hashem had cut with his people. This was like a bride who cheated on her husband while still on the honeymoon. And so God seeks forgiveness from them. It's as if Moses said, well, if you're not in the form of a calf, then let me see your image. And rather than giving Moses a visual, God gives Moses the most important part of him that we can learn. A part that Moses could make into an image that would accurately represent God. His character traits that Israel could then begin to emulate. And when we turn to the New Testament, we find Paul describing the character of God in the book of Galatians. Galatians 5, 22-23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, trustworthiness, gentleness, self-control. And against these there is no Torah. These are the qualities that we should find coming out in our lives as we walk through the world. This is the character of our God, and so if we are to use actions as our witness, these are the actions that we should use, because these are his actions. This is his image that he wanted man to know. Not a calf or a light or anything visual, a set of character traits. But simply living the character of God is not the end of the story of sharing the gospel. We are to speak the gospel as well. Romans ten eleven through 15 Because the scripture says, Whoever puts his trust in him shall not be put to shame. Because there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same master of all is rich to all of those who are calling upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of Hashem shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without one proclaiming? And how shall they proclaim if they are not sent? As it has been written, how pleasant are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace, who bring the gospel of the good. We must be prepared to speak the gospel message. How pleasant are the feet of those who bring the good news. In Ephesians 6, we're told that our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's part of the armor of God. The thing that we should be clothed in for our safety from the enemy. If we are not prepared to share the gospel verbally at any time, we're not fully clothed in the armor of God. While, yes, we should act in such a way that we are noticeably different than the world around us, we should not limit our message to this. The fact is that the world around us is burning down. It's a building that's on fire. If you love your neighbor, are you going to simply run out of the building yourself, hoping that others see you pass them by on your way out? That no longer works. People are too glued to their TVs or their phones to notice what you do. We must speak up for the kingdom. We must warn them. We must publish what our king has done in our lives. We must propagandize and proselytize for our king and his kingdom. But as we do so, we must display the character of God in the process. It does no one any good to speak the message of God while acting in an image contrary to God. We are tasked 
with spreading the kingdom of God. Just as a soldier on a war front, we are to take ground. We are to move the lines forward into enemy territory. And frankly, doing this without fear will require that we learn to use the benefits of the kingdom. The forgiveness, the authority, the relationship, the knowledge that we have eternal life. If we haven't accepted these things, if we had not used these things, it will be that much harder to succeed in this task. But with the Spirit of God and the benefits that His kingdom brings, we can speak to anyone about the hope that we have in Messiah Yeshua and His kingdom. And one of the beautiful things that we discover when we begin to share the gospel is that it will lead to the second practical expression of the kingdom. We will find ourselves in community. Community is one of the most important aspects of living for the kingdom of God because we are completely unable to practice the kingdom of God on our own. The people of a kingdom do not exist in a vacuum. They have neighbors. We must be connected to the kingdom, and the way to do that is in community. 1 Corinthians 12, 12-27 For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Messiah. For indeed by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink into one spirit. For indeed the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, does it therefore not belong to the body? And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, does it therefore not belong to the body? And if all the body was an eye, where would be the hearing? And if all hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, even as he pleased. And if they all had been one member, where would the body be? And now there are indeed many members, but one body. And the eye is unable to say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again to the head of the feet, I have no need of you. But much rather, those members of the body which are thought to be weaker are necessary. And to those of the body which we think to be less respected, these we present greater respect. And our unseemly members have greater seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need. But God blended together the body, having having given greater respect to that member which lacks it, and that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same concern for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And you are a body of Messiah and members individually. We desperately need each other. Without community, we are easy pickings for the adversary because we'll have no backup, no support. And it's the community around us that is to be our support. Bear one another's burdens and so complete the Torah of the Messiah. For if anyone thinks of himself somebody, when he is not, he deceives himself. But let each one of you examine his own work, and then he shall have boasting in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own burden. I mean, sure, God supports us, but he often does so through those around us. It's a rare man like Elijah who can stand alone in the face of the enemy. Don't expect a miracle to be dropped in your lap if you have rejected the community that exists around you to be your support. 
We are meant to be together, and God has created a day in which that is supposed to happen. Why do you think that God rested on the Sabbath? Is it just a day to be lazy, to play video games, watch football or a movie, go to the park, completely ignore him, completely ignore those who are also his? No, the Sabbath is a day that we are to be with him, and being with God includes being with his people. Acts 13, 42-43, And when the Jews went out of the congregation, the nations begged to have these words spoken to them the next Sabbath. And when the meeting of the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and of the worshiping converts who Saul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the favor of God. And on the next Sabbath, almost all the city came together to hear the words of God. It was on the Sabbath that the people knew there was going to be a gathering of the people of God. It was on the Sabbath when the people were together, and it was after the Sabbath that the congregation broke up. You see, our modern world has a billion distractions. We read, rest on the Sabbath, and we do what modern people do. We philosophize about what rest really means. And we think, well, rest means sitting in my favorite chair for hours. But that's also boring, so we add a movie or a game, and it's a must. And so our bodies rest, but our spirit does not. When doing this, we find ourselves still bound up by the concerns of the world, occupied by the things around us. Or when we read a book, or we putz around in the garden, or we go for a hike or ride a bike, we do some activity. And often in doing our activity, whether our bodies are at rest or not, we miss the point of rest. Psalms 132, 7-8 Let us go into his dwelling places, and let us bow ourselves at his footstool. Arise, O Hashem, to your place of rest, you and the ark of your strength. Rest is the language of a king sitting on his throne, ruling over his kingdom. And part of what God did on the seventh day was to dwell with Adam, to walk with him in the cool of the garden. The point of the Sabbath is that it is a time to meet with God, and meeting with God practically means meeting with God's people, being in community, sharing life together. Without community, you will fall and fail. You will buckle under the pressure when the pressure comes. Without community, you're a foot or a finger or an ear without a body, incomplete, unable to function. Galatians 6.3, we just read it, for if anyone thinks to himself to be somebody, then he is not and he deceives himself. What does this mean? Usually we read this and connect it to the idea of honor or pride. If anybody thinks of himself to be somebody, and most translations will steep it this way. If anyone thinks that he is something. But the Greek word used in this verse is ania. It speaks of existence or being. Based on the context of the passage, I think it should be read rather, if anyone thinks himself self-existent or self-sufficient, he is deceived. No man is an island. We must have each other to survive. It's easy right now to run and hide and disconnect and protect ourselves, but this path leads to destruction in the end. We have to be together. Of course, gather when it's easy, but it's even more important when it's difficult. 
because it is in the difficult times in our lives that we need the support. Don't skip out on community because you're having a bad day. A bad day is exactly when you need the community the most. Okay, so we're supposed to be in community. Got it. But then once in community, how are we to operate? Well, first off, we're to operate in humility. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 Do nothing at all through selfishness or self-conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each one should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Consider others better than yourself. Face it, we all deal with pride. We've all been taught that we are the center of our own worlds, that our thoughts matter, that we are the main character in our own story. The world, well, at least our world, revolves around us. And that is simply not true. We are nothing more than supporting characters in a story that is much larger than we are. Our lives are not our stories, especially once we've declared allegiance to Yeshua. Our lives must be His story. And that means putting others first. That means being servant to all. That means acting as our Messiah acted. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget our works and our labor of love which you have shown toward his name, and that you have attended to the holy ones and still attend. Serving each other is a labor of love that is directed towards God. Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Our liberty and our freedom is not to be abused by serving ourselves and our fleshly desires, by doing things for ourselves first, and then if we happen to have time or money left over or we're in a good mood, well, then maybe we'll do something for another and call it a day. Our liberty, our freedom, is to be used as an opportunity to serve each other, to serve the world. Service is what God desires of those who are part of his kingdom. His army is not one of swords and spears and shields and bows. His army is one of bandages and compassion and comfort and crockpots. It is an army of shoulders to cry on and strong arms to carry burdens. It's an army of people who live lives of service to those around them. And alongside service and humility... The army of God is an army of forgiveness. We spoke on this last week. Forgiveness is one of the benefits that we can expect to have as citizens of the kingdom of God. And we need to practice the kind of forgiveness that is the hardest, forgiving ourselves. But there is another kind of forgiveness that we need to practice. But there is another kind of forgiveness that we need to practice, forgiving others for their pasts. You see, we all have a past. We have all done things that we are not proud of. And we have all had things done to us that might be even worse. And the fear is always present. If they knew what I was going through, if they knew what I'd been through, they would reject me. They would hold it against me and they would treat me different. And unfortunately for many who call themselves the church, this is true. The pasts of others who are in real need drives us to avoid their pain and their shame. A situation that is less than ideal or perfect is held back and kept secret because of the fear of judgment from those around us. 
The fear is that we will shun them and turn away from those who are in the most need of love. But we are to run towards people in pain. We are to soothe the pain and not make it worse. We are to bring healing in our wake, and when we hold another's past against them, this does nothing but perpetuate their pain. And especially for those in our midst, those who have joined themselves to Yeshua, their past is gone. We have to allow it to be past just as much as they do, just as we must do with ourselves. We, the church, the kingdom, we must be a safe place for those who have done terrible wrong to express themselves. We must allow our brothers and sisters to have had a sinful past and to share and confess without judgment. Because if God no longer holds judgment against them, then who are you to judge? Instead, when the urge arises to judge another for whatever reason, instead of turning that judgment outward, stop and take a moment and turn the judgment inward. Because these moments of inward judgment can be some of the greatest moments of growth. When you find yourself judging a person because of something that they have done or are actively doing that you dislike, stop for a moment. Stop and reflect. Romans 2.1 Therefore, O man, you are without excuse, everyone who judges. For in which you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you who judge practice the same wrongs. This is a profound truth. The things that we find ourselves judging others for tend to be the things that we ourselves are the most guilty of. Think about that for a minute. The things that bother you the most in others will be the things that you yourself are engaged in. The areas of life that cause you to stand in selfish, righteous judgment over others are the things that you are doing. And this is a brutal truth, and it's one that should cause us to slow down and examine ourselves. Because these things are things that we ourselves need to repent of. Now, that was a little aside, but that aside, it can help us once properly understood and applied, and it can help us to reach heights that were previously unreachable in our walk. You see, to many of us, our faith, it's something private. It's something that's not spoken of outside of our homes or our church groups. It's something that really doesn't change our lives. We go to work. We don't dare talk of our faith there. We go shopping, we go on walks, we go to our neighbors, we watch Netflix, we play Call of Duty, we live our lives. The only time our faith comes out is when we're with people who believe in a similar way, or in the relative safety of the echo chamber of social media. But a stranger? Publicly declaring? Making our identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God known? Well, there's too much angst connected to living in such a way, and so we don't. I'm just as guilty as everyone else. Don't think that I'm up here preaching this way of living because I have it all sorted out. I avoid speaking of my God and King outside of certain circles. I don't speak to strangers about my faith. I don't publish what God has done for me outside of my close-knit circle. I fear what others might think. I fear the potential hassle of being pulled into a debate. I just don't want to have my schedule disrupted. I've got a hundred reasons, and I'm sure that you do too, for the areas that you are not living up to the expectation. And that's okay. For now. 
as long as we begin to recognize that these are just excuses. As long as we begin to change to align our lives with the expectation of the kingdom. And that begins with placing the kingdom in the place of priority in your life. Making it the thing that your life revolves around. Telling others about the kingdom in action and word. Living in community at every opportunity. And we must do whatever we can to call others out. Not just show them the way out, but speak of it. Because you can be in the kingdom and have the kingdom first in your life, but still not be fulfilling the mission of the kingdom. But the mission must take precedence. It must be our focus. Not just accepting and becoming new creation, but spreading new creation. Calling others out, speaking and preaching and telling. May God give us the courage to do this as we enter this time of greater trial. Because as citizens of the kingdom of God, we should be bringing life in our wake. The life and the hope that is found only in our Messiah, Yeshua. The way, the truth, and the life. So Deresh Chai, seek life in all that you do. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Darius Kai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. The music was provided by the Exodus Road Band. Check them out on iTunes or ExodusRoadBand.com. We'll see you again next time as we Darius Kai, as we seek life. Shalom.